podcast ain't played nobody your college football marriage of numbers and words this is bill Connolly, and if i am speaking you are automatically assuming that godfrey's out uh he's not uh he's just refreshing his drink and i need to get started so we're just gonna start um this is draft day and uh you know that's for most football podcasts that seems to be a relatively important thing uh we'll sort of touch on that a little bit but we've got more important things to touch on oh hey 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 all right there we go um i was just talking you know smack uh so that's fine um i had to had to retrieve my pensacola it's officially i mean it's almost may so it's definitely pensacola season and and for listeners who weren't with us last summer when you created the the hottest drink in all the land Look, man, eater, eater.com ain't got nothing on me. I created a drink at a staff meeting. Well, no, I didn't create the drink at a staff meeting. I just started doing it about this time last year, and then I did it at a staff meeting. And then we turned it into a blog post where you take your, your plain black iced coffee, yeah, and you go 50-50 with – well, you put fill with ice, plain black co- iced coffee, no sugar, uh, and then you pour in a coconut LaCroix. I resist it trends. It is fantastic. I resist trends whenever possible, um, and so I've resisted this one. It just got too. It just got too popular, and I couldn't try it. Um, you know, I didn't you know try. I, I, would make, I would be mad at you about that, except that's how I approach most of life. So I didn't give OK Computer a shot until like 2003 because too many people told me it was good. Well, that's um, your fault. Oh no, it's a very self-destructive kind of thing because usually, if that many people like it, you know, it's good. <laughs> But, you know, I, I got to, I gotta you know, go my own way. So, it's draft day. More it's draft. It's, it's Memphis, AAC day! It's Memphis preview day. Memphis, my Memphis preview just went up. Uh, my Houston preview went up yesterday. We are in the thick of not only the AAC previews, but the most PAPN-like AAC previews. So far this week, we have had Navy, SMU, Houston, and Memphis. Tomorrow is USF. Monday is UCF. Um, this, this, is, this just feels right. Now, now I'm ready for the season, I think. Now that we're, we're officially talking about Memphis, um, I, I think I'm ready to go. <clears throat> that is a lie. I've got way too much to do over the next four months. That was a pure lie. Do you feel like uh, there was a tweet from, I don't know, one of the official football accounts. I used to follow all those official football accounts, Twitters and Instagrams, thinking that, that I would glean information, and I don't. I unfollowed most of them. I don't know. Somebody retweeted something. It was a graphic last weekend that said there are only 20 Saturdays until college football. <laughs> Meaning, like, obviously designed to get college football fans hyped up. I got the shivers. That's what you you took it as a threat. Oh God! I mean, I ugh. Oh. Now, I, and I don't want to sound uh, grumpy about it because this is a college football podcast. But we, again, we need this time. This podcast in particular thrives in the off season. I don't care what oh, yeah, anyone yeah, else yeah, yeah. This po- and, and also I mean- like. I thrive we just, in the offseason. Yes. We need to, we, we're still processing things. We don't know what to think yet. No, the, the, the season is a fire hose. August either, but that's fine. The season is a fire hose. Um, like that, that's, that's when just stuff comes at you and you have to talk about whatever you talk about. Like the, 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 the agenda is set and you just follow it for the most part. Um, offseason is when you can get weird and creative and stretch your legs a little bit and um, – that has only just begun. So yeah, I'm not I'm not ready yet. I got too many ideas here. Really? One worried. of those ideas, by the way, is live blogging tonight's draft. 
Um, All right. If you're listening to this uh, on the on Thursday, and I apologize because I had I had some deadline issues that pushed us back, um, where I would have only been able to record late Wednesday, and Bill goes to sleep at 5 p.m., so it wasn't going to happen. Um, you will be live blogging the draft. So if you're listening to this in the next probably six ish hours from when we put it up, um, hit hit him with the PSA. Give him the old institutional house ad. Go. <laughs> Um, no, that's, that's pretty, you just said it. I mean, go to SB nation, find the live blog, click on it and follow along with me. That's my whole PSA. I don't really have anything, uh, special to add to it. I I will. This is, so I have been writing more about the NFL, um, at least the draft so far in this off season. And there, that will transition to more, NFL content that isn't the freaking draft that I'm so exhausted of by uh, moving forward. And that was by design. I figured out, you know, just stumbled into not necessarily being completely grossed out by the NFL anymore. I'm grossed out by everybody at the top, but I think with every passing week, uh, you have to come to realize that everybody at the top of every organization is terrible. Uh, and if that was my standard for not paying attention to something or liking something, there's no, I have no def- justification for liking college sports at this point, especially, especially after yesterday's, uh, uh, basketball commission on health and well, whatever the hell that was called. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, like, w- once the logic kind of spun around in my head, I started and I started reading about Bill Walsh and finding things to actually be interested in. And honestly, after like six or eight years of barely paying attention to the NFL, like stumbling back into it and perusing some rosters and, and everything and, it, and having to be like a family reunion, like, oh, that guy, that guy yeah, from Alabama or you know, that guy from Grambling. Oh, I missed I missed that guy. Uh, so it's been kind of a re- there's been a reunion aspect to it, but whatever. I have been writing more about the NFL. Uh, I will continue to do so. Uh, I will find the things that don't gross me out. Uh, so you know, don't expect uh, my take on is Joe Flacco elite anytime soon. Um, but part of that means I, I get to live blog the draft tonight, and we'll see what the hell happens. It's a, it's a weird place to be because I really did just kind of ignore as much as I could about the NFL over the last however many years. But I also grew up memorizing crap uh, because I'm a nerd. And so like college football was always number one to me, but I had all the, the histories of all the NFL teams memorized and, and updated, uh, you know, in, in the, in the memory bank until about eight to 10 years ago. And so basically I'm like a novice with a full encyclopedia at the same time. And, and I'm enjoying kind of taking that space and running with it. Before we move on, I'll say this about the rice commission. It was a, it was a huge success yesterday because I made it the entire day tweeting about what happened and I did not get the uh, paternal tap on the shoulder from any one of my supervisors about what I was saying on Twitter. That, my friends, is a massive success. That's impressive. You didn't even, you didn't even get through last PAPN day uh, without getting a tap on the shoulder. What did I do on the last podcast? Um, there were certain draft experts who showed a certain, not, not on the podcast, but the day of the podcast. Um who showed oh, a certain yeah, lack of yeah, knowledge. I got trouble. Yeah, I got in trouble yeah. with that one, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. I don't know it, man. I have no short-term memory. You want to you wanna have no short-term memory, here's how. Um, have, a, have a job that is somewhat demanding. Have two children under the age of four. Don't sleep, and then also make a TV show on the side. Um, Any updates on the TV show, by the way? Oh, not yet. Okay. 
Fair enough. I mean, I think we've said Project X is a TV. Whatever. I don't. Yeah, know. yeah, no, you, you, that, that's fair. Um, but okay, so by the way, before we, since we Project already said X we're going to Project X is Infinity War. I was working on Infinity War. Wow, I didn't yeah. even know that. You kept that from who dies? It's everybody, isn't it? Everybody dies. I can't even make jokes about this because people get pissed off. Seriously. I have been so – I got to see that movie early. I've been so delicate about the way I approach things. People people get people get the feels about what they even perceive to be spoilers. So I have not even made a lighthearted joke about that particular element of the film. Meanwhile, uh, when we are done recording, I'm going to need you to tell me who dies because my wife has decided she's too emotionally invested and she won't be able to see it until she knows who dies. So yeah. that she can prepare herself. So fill me in afterwards. Anyway, um, we're already off the rails. So I'll just go ahead and circle back to the do Rice Commission. Talk, do we? No, I really don't have anything to say about the no, Rice no, Commission. I, just, I have one thing. I have one thing that I, I wanted a response to because I saw it yesterday. Um, okay. That it just kind of—I don't buy it, but it was at least a, it was a little bit of a spin that wasn't a hundred percent false. So I just wanted to to run this by somebody. All right, so. Yesterday, when uh, Ralph Russo stuck a microphone in front of Notre Dame's president, Father Jenkins, I think. I was just default to like Kavanaugh or something, but... um, Yeah, that's fine. So when, excuse me, when the uh, Notre Dame president uh, started talking about uh, how he believes that what the... uh, What our commission believes, I think what the NCAA believes is that the interest in college sport is due to the fact that these are students pursuing degrees. Um, (laughs) That was the response from a lot of people, (laughs) uh, including including not only you, but Adam Jacoby also had almost exactly the same tweet. Uh, And many others did too. Meanwhile, I just got pissed. Meanwhile, I just got pissed, took screenshots of Notre Dame's uh, football Twitter page at the moment, which has big things on, uh, you know, breathlessly promoting uh, certain players' draft stock, including a few who haven't gotten their degrees yet. Um, But I... Bill, hit him with the receipts. No, to their credit, what Josh Allen and and, and Equinemius uh, St. Brown both said they will get their degree. So I didn't I didn't put that in the article because I didn't want to that felt unfair. But the bottom line is they have not gotten their degrees and they're done playing Notre Dame football. Um and, and their Notre Dame Twitter handle sure does like them. So uh, somebody, let's see, this was, his name is Jeff. He runs the Basketball Predictions blog. He, um, I've seen him on Twitter a little bit. Um, he, when everybody responded to those comments with mocking, the one thing he said was, you know, feel free to take a break from laughing to explain why G League games draw a few hundred fans and can't get on television while lower quality college games with lower quality players draw 80,000 fans and have massive TV contracts. By all means, argue that the kids should get paid more. I think they should get paid more, too. But don't pretend that 20,000 people show up at UNC games for Marcus Page when 500 show up to see Marcus Page play in the G League. Um, again, I don't completely agree with that, but it is... <clears throat> this is a more this is not as black and white as uh, like i i i always feel hesitant to even like charge in and that's a funny thing to say when i tweeted sarcastically like 28 times yesterday morning but i always i always try to press the brakes sometimes the brakes don't work but i, I try to hit the brakes um because this is the the battle li- once battle lines are drawn the argument gets really stupid and so it's basically like, you know, to believe in one side, it, you know, it, it feels like you end up in a box of, you know, just pay the damn players. It's easy. 
Uh, and, and it's the players that matter, not the coaches and all those things. Clearly that's not the case, but that's the, like the box we end up on, in. And I like that he kind of at least blurred the lines a little bit. There is the school aspect to this. There is the school loyalty aspect to this and turning it into a minor league completely while father Jenkins went 38 steps too far, turning college sports into a minor league period, uh, is gross, but so is leaning on the definition of amateurism we came up with 65 years ago to avoid paying workers comp. And so this has become one of those political arguments where we just argue the same things for years and years and years and years and years and years, where if you like watch a West wing episode from 1999, they're saying the same things both sides are saying today. And it's, it's, it's maddening and depressing. Uh, this has become one of those things. I just, I, I wish there was a, a way to just like, change the track just say okay we've listened to this song enough we're going to move on to the next song now even though we don't know all the answers we don't know all the notes to the next song we're going to go ahead and give it a shot and it's impossible to get to that point because we are still arguing exactly the same things that we were arguing five years ago until there's a court case that says students have to be allowed to make money off their likeness nothing's going to change we're just going to argue in our little vacuum here nothing See, that one that, that wasn't so bad i mean no 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 yeah nothing changed um my the only real point I had, other than just laughing in the face of the NCAA and the Rice Commission and the and the you know the pro NCAA media that is, I mean, just unabashed card carrying, merit badge seeking, you know, junior NCAA enforcement officers at particular media outlets. Like that, I did my normal shtick with them yesterday. My only salient point was when even Ralph, who, who's a friend of a friend of mine at, at the AP and a lot of people brought up, what did you guys expect? The Rice Commission was very clearly not going to address the, the larger concept of amateurism. They said so. A lot of people a lot of people try to throw that back in, the, in, in our faces. My point is that kind of belies the point. You set up a pointless exercise under the auspices of, of doing something about a problem. And just because you said, hey, um, there's one clear there's one clear origin to all of this, right? Just in the like using causation to go backwards, right? There's a black market demand for these athletes. People are going to skirt the rules because these kids aren't compensated. It's a super simple sentence, right? We're gonna create a commission to address the symptoms without ever addressing the actual ailment. Now, just because you said in September, October, whenever Hey, we're this Rice Commission, they're not going to address amateurism. That doesn't make it any dumber. That doesn't right. make it any more pointless or any less pointless. Right. And we are allowed to comment upon that because the the same pearl clutching tight ass media that wanted to so virulently defend Indianapolis yesterday are going to be the same ones who make their bread and butter on clutching those pearls. And right. expressing and, indignation when the next cheating scandal happens, when it's the next North Carolina or Ole Miss or, you know, when it's the next Baylor and they they just seem to give the NCAA a pass uh, because, you know, look, covering up systemic sexual abuse doesn't hurt the NCAA's revenue. Ole Miss giving money to kids does flat out <laughs> like the SEC bagman culture scares the 
ear muff alert for kids 15 second scrub it scares the shit out of the ncaa because that affects that that changes a paradigm that's that's a massive shift in the way business is done but if a bunch of women get sexually assaulted and a bunch of coaches cover it up the ncaa can frown at that express their sympathy for the victims that doesn't really affect their money and the only way you stop the NCAA or their member institutions is you affect their money because it doesn't change the concept of, of amateurism, which is how they generate billions. Uh, so on the, on the flip side, I don't think I want the NCAA handling those things. And I don't know if that's no, because they're- no, 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 I am not. And this is why another uh, PAPN listener asked a question yesterday. And I don't know, maybe it was because maybe because Kanye has decided to vote for Trump or whatever. But I actually used a quote from Ronald Reagan. And I, you know, I said I was raised on this idea by government employees, two government employees, one local, one federal. They were both, you know, and still are Reagan Republicans. And they would always say this. There's a quote from Ronald Reagan that says uh, the scariest sentence you can ever hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And, I, you know, I said in the tweet, I've grown not to agree with that over time. I, I realized the folly of that. I don't agree with that philosophy as an adult, but I do take it and apply it to particular governing bodies outside of maybe our just our federal and state governments, the American, you know, the, the larger American system I'm not talking about at the moment. I'm talking about bodies like the NCAA. I think the idea of the NCAA expanding to better police is a, a terrible idea. They could, they could bill, they could spend $50 million next month purely on enforcement. They will never catch more than <laughs> right. more than a, a percentage point of the cheating that goes on. And just, just football. I won't make those kind of statements with basketball because I don't, that, that's not my area. It's, I mean, I've been covering football for a similar. long, long time and it's quite, yeah, oh yeah. It's really not that big a difference, but in terms of the numbers, because there's a lot more football players out there, I think, you know, it takes more football players to play the sport. Um, The numbers can skew. And I do think the one and done NBA thing that shifts, that's a different paradigm. It's a different thing. Yeah. Um, Anyway, my point to the people who so badly need their merit badges from the NCAA is that you can't say, what, why defend? Why defend them doing nothing? Like why go? Why go to Indianapolis and write about the the, the Rice Commission as a thing? Like why give it the ink? Because right. they're going to do nothing. And then don't don't turn around and yell at us for saying, "Hey, this didn't fix the problem." When you're going to be complaining about the problem in three months, six right. months, nine months, right. when the next when the next Power Five program has the same thing happen to him right that's that's that was my point to the what what did you guys expect kind of thing is like okay well if it's we gonna be change. a headline if it's going to be a headline if we're going to actually respond to this like it's real news then we're going to point out that this is real news that's a bunch of crap like if yeah. if, if, it, if it just kind of went under the table and nobody talked about it then there's no need to point out how worthless it was uh but this this was uh an exercise in spending however hundred th- many thousands of dollars uh to basically recommend a bunch of changes while taking about 95% of possible changes off the board. Uh, and in that yeah. sense, it was actually pretty successful because they, they, I mean, they had a couple good recommendations, which is more than I expected, but yeah, when you refuse, and I, I know Condi Rice yesterday morning in whatever, what, whatever interview she was in mentioned that, yeah, we talked about the whole making money off your likeness thing, but with the court cases, uh, we didn't feel we could make any r- serious recommendations about it. Well, I mean, the whole thing was based around a recommendation 
organization uh, that the NBA do something the NCAA can't do. So, you know, you, you took that step. But, I mean, that is the biggest issue. And until you solve that, because but the way you solve that, uh, it's like changing. Uh, it, well, it's, it's like changing marijuana laws in a lot of ways where you change it and then you realize, oh, look, look at all the, all the, the historical things we just changed um, in the process. It, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing and that, you know, all the ways we think about the quote unquote black market change depending on if we actually try to acknowledge that amateurism now shouldn't be what amateurism was in 1953 or whatever it was, especially when since uh-huh. amateurism really shouldn't have been it then either. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was just a giant exercise in wasting everybody's time. And, and by the way, you, we can talk about cheerleaders and merit badges and all that. Incidentally, lost a couple cheerleaders yesterday. And I think that's worth pointing out too. Like this was maybe a step too far for some. And, and eventually that's the way this goes. Like sentiment has been shifting for a very long time about what should or shouldn't be allowed. I thought, I thought when we had that, um, when the Pony Express, the 30 for 30 about SMU football came out, um, you know, watching the reactions that just people being so appalled in the clips then about, you know, all the benefits that that were getting handed out and all that. And, and I mean, SMU was amazingly bold and, you know, uh, persistent in their efforts in that regard. But. I think the reaction to, to Pony Express was not a, was dramatically different uh, in the way just the way we viewed. Uh, no, that really wasn't that bad, was it? You know, I think that over thirty years that changed. I think over the last five years that's changed a little bit. It's not reached the NCAA, obviously, and eventually. Uh-huh. You know, I, I assume, you know, public sentiment aside, like that, that won't change unless a court case demands a change. But at some point, a court case will probably demand it. And so um, I, I do think it's worth pointing out that I do that a couple of those supporters uh, went NWO yesterday. Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News said the Rice Report was a waste of time and he was the target audience. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you're listening to this and you want us to move on, I get that. I totally understand that. Um, I know that sometimes I'm aware of that. Sometimes I'm running the risk of becoming a single assemble, a single topic journalist, a single topic reporter um, between what's going on with the NCAA, the way that SB nations covered it, the Bagman story, and then to have this scandal break out at my alma mater, they go out and send me to report on this for a very, very long time. So I worry about that, that, you know, we don't, uh, Maybe we don't focus enough on the good and the fun and the and why you know why we're all fans of the thing that we cover. But I guess I hear you if you're tired of us talking about this. But if you are and you don't really care one way or the other, that's okay. I'm not. I really like to coexist around people with completely different ideas and beliefs than mine. I really do think that's a good thing. So I'm not trying to proselytize. But it's the only thing sometimes. I, yes. The only thing that I would ask of y'all, if if you're just like, man, screw it. I just, you know, I just want to be a fan. I just want to be a fan of, you know, Clemson or Oklahoma or Auburn or USC or whatever. That's great. I get it. Just don't be don't be the same fan who like is so shocked and gets on Twitter and gets so angry when you find out that like there's a cheating scandal. Or or some or rules violation. I, I I really hesitate to call it cheating because the, it's funny if you really want to look at who's doing what in terms of the coverage and the way people talk about it. Look at their language because they will treat it like a criminal action has occurred. Right. 
if the kid, you know, if kids are getting hundred dollars, thousand dollars. Um, I, so I have to be very careful with my language. If you find out some kid at some school got money to go to that school and it went to their family or their dad got a job or whatever, you have to accept that. You have to. It's just part of the deal. Don't say it's unfair. College football has never been fair. It has never, <laughs> it has never, ever, ever been an even playing field ever. There's never going to be a salary cap. There's never going to be a way that San Diego State and Ohio State operate on an equal playing ground. It's never going to happen. And by the way, so, I do feel like um, this This has been a very weird week for me too because I came to two giant devil's advocate uh, – acknowledgments or admissions or whatever. Uh, one of them was in the piece I wrote yesterday, which started off as just basically a, a rant at noted at, at father Jenkins, or I, I hope it's Jenkins. I've been saying Jenkins the whole time, um, but I, I get at least one name wrong per program. So it's probably not. Uh, but I, I basically mm. like in the process of laying out, you know, why, you know, the definition of amateurism is so bad and cynical and all that. I also kind of acknowledge that, there's a very good chance that college sports wouldn't be as popular today without it. Now that doesn't mean it shouldn't change, but the, the way money was spent and then you, the, the way exposure came about, it probably did help college athletics as a whole uh, to be kind of on this quote, this, this high ground at, at first, this morally just a, you know, just cause uh, it helped the exposure of the sport. It helped the popularity of the sport. Um, and I don't think, you know, we don't have jobs talking about college sports right now without some of these cynical things that happened 50, 60 years ago, um, to, to shift the topic. Now, this is, I, I'm very impressed with the segue myself. The other devil's advocate position I came up with this, this week, um, was that <laughs> over the course of the, the last few weeks, I've been writing some draft pieces and trying to just, basically I've read a couple like not necessarily navel gazy type pieces, but just kind of an, like a uh, asking myself questions out loud kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. one of them last week talking about, you know, the, the simple fact that, you know, franchise, uh, the, a franchise quarterback is very, very, very hard to find. Most, most don't find it at least not like truly awesome, you know, top five in the league guys. Uh, and the ones that they do find are just as likely to be like sixth round, Tom Brady's third round, Russell Wilson's undrafted Tony Romo's as top five picks. And so I laughed about the fact that, you know, we don't want to, we still just freak out and trade all of our future for a top five pick so we can get our quarterback, even if he ends up being a bunch of crap. Um, but then I, I started on, I started tugging at that thread a little bit. And this week wrote a piece that basically said, you know, it feel, kind of feels like franchise quarterbacks. Once you think about it are made as much as, or, or, or as are, are, are nurtured as are nurture as much as nature. Let's put it that way. And that you can mm-hmm. almost, you can kind of create one if you've got the right organization and the right support structure and the right, everything else. And so in that sense, as much as Powder River, as much as I have railed against the draft of drafting of a certain per quarterback prospect who I do feel is incredibly undeserving of the top five pick he's going to get tonight, he's going to get the level of attention uh, and a very, very high level of coaching. And if he enters the right situation where he doesn't necessarily have to play right away or he's got a couple of the right pieces of personnel or however that comes about, he could still succeed because he ended up in the right situation. And situation ends up being as much uh, a determinant of, of all of this as, as anything else. Because Tom Brady, Tom Brady, if the Patriots sign a better 
back veteran backup quarterback in 2001, Tom Brady maybe never gets the chance to become Tom Brady. So opportunity is kind of half the battle. Draft season always reminds me of that. I think if you're one, if you're a fan of one of maybe 35 teams in, in college football, I, I do think even with the even the evened out nature of the rosters in the NFL and the salary cap and everything that I do think it's an, it, it's a little bit easier living because I think it's easier to land upon a quarterback. I mean, obviously you don't have to develop them for eight to 10 years. You have to develop them for sometimes only, you know, two or at the most four years. I think it's easier to land on a quarterback and build a championship team in college than it is to build a championship team around a quarterback in the pros. And we've proven time and time again, you have to have that quarterback to sustain success. Like Trent Dilfer happened, you know, but it's, that's way more the exception than it is the rule. Foles happened. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, it did. Um, I like Nick Foles. Good I love, guy. I love um, Nick Foles, yeah. Yeah. So uh, in that regard, I think it's um, – you look at the, I don't know, like the misery index or whatever, the bottom side of the NFL, um, it's almost always because of a perennial mismanagement of the quarterback position. You know, yeah. Jacksonville – uh, although Jacksonville went to playoffs this year, I know, but like, you know, I was trying to think of someone other than Cleveland, but you know, it is what it is. The jets, right. There's one. Um, they, they, they roll, they gamble. They, and it, it all really just centers around the quarterback position. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing to look at franchises that like even franchises that have built well in other places with, you know, drafting great talent. Oh, it was my phone this time. Ha-ha! That's impressive. Anyway, we should use that as a reason to pivot because we are 30 minutes in. Uh, we have not talked touched on the topic we said we would open the show with. We are in prime uh, form. We are in midseason form. Uh, so let's talk. Let's talk AC. AC. Who's winning the AAC West this year? Houston or Memphis? Or Navy Ooh. or SMU or Temple or Tulsa or whoever. But um, doesn't yeah. matter who wins. Fun won't lose. I'm sorry. <clears throat> All right. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, we can go with that. Um, no, I mean, I'm just saying, like, actually, Houston and Memphis, they're going to be fun. They're going to be fun to watch. A lot of these, uh, I mean, one of the reasons we really, really like to, you know, kind of sit with the AAC is like, we've talked about this ad nauseum. The coaches are fun. It's a little looser. They're doing dynamic stuff. There's a lot of different systems at play, but also, like, these are fun football teams. I do, um, you know, as I'm writing these, uh, I'll, you know, probably, I don't know, 60% of the time, I'll, wherever I start in my sentiment about a team, I'll end up talking myself into them to a certain degree because I'm an optimist. Um, and so I, you know, th- that happens more often than not. But sometimes I'll, I'll notice something I hadn't noticed right away. Like, oh, crap, they really do have a completely new secondary and or things like that. And I'll start talking myself out of a team a little bit. I will say that like a week ago, my expectation was that Houston was the AAC West favorite, probably like a 75% chance just because, you know, it, all, if, if all you know about them is they have Ed Oliver back, they have De'Aaron King back, they've got Kendall Bryles back, um, or not, not back, but they have Kendall Bryles now. Um, that appears to be a Houston has a Bryles back. How about that? Right. There you go. Uh, that appears to be a pretty, no, no back. I think Kendall was, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, that, that appears to be pretty potent. That appears to be massive upside right there. And I, and I mean, I, I do think there's potential for that. Um, I'm not sure I've seen what I need to see 
I don't want to say from a coaching standpoint, but uh, Major Applewhite last year, they lost a bunch of games they shouldn't have lost, and that could have been luck. But I like until we know it's luck, until a coach actually wins some of those games and balances things out a little bit, it kind of – I think he, he still has some new coach to work through, uh, yeah. and that kind of concerns me a little bit. And it also concerns me that like Duke Catalan is gone. Uh, he, he left the program like a month ago, the running back. The running back slash like number five receiver. And that means since De'Eric King is playing – uh, quarterback and is is no longer their number three returning receiver or their number three receiver overall last year. That means they've lost their top five uh, receivers from last year and their top running back. Now, um, the, the run game wasn't very good. So, I mean, technically mobile car and whoever else can probably replicate what Catalan did, but I would feel a lot better about a Bryles passing game. If I knew they actually had receivers, I think guys like Courtney Lark, some of the juniors and sophomores, and they've got a boatload of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Like I, I, I would assume they, they are pretty dangerous, but in terms of being better than Memphis, not real sure. And, and now, so meanwhile with Memphis, my, the first impression is, well, they lost Riley Ferguson. They lost, um, uh, Anthony Miller. I always want to say Anthony Carter. Uh, I probably did type that like three times in the preview, but they like losing those two. That means that their offense is definitely going to drop off. Um, and it probably will, but they get their two running backs, Patrick Taylor and Daryl Henderson back. Daryl Henderson averaged almost nine freaking yards a carry. They get Tony Pollard back who Tony Pollard, by the way, averaged 40 yards per kick return last year with four touchdowns. I do not believe he's going to be calling any fair catches with the new rules. Uh, but then he also averaged almost eight yards per carry. And where did it go? He was their number three returning. Uh, he's their number one returning receiver at 15 yards a catch. Like dude's dynamite. They have most of their explosive guys back besides Anthony Miller. And so if either David Moore or Brady White sticks at quarterback, and I mean, they both have pretty good pedigrees. Brady White was a blue chipper at Arizona State who uh, transferred, who signed for to play in Norvell's offense, and has followed him to Memphis. And then David Moore, you know, showed some pretty good athletic. Like he rushed, he averaged like seven yards a carry himself last year. Um, I, it kind of feels like they got the pieces they need to win the West again. So I'm I'm more high on Memphis winning the West than I thought I was a week ago. Do you think that? the issues Houston's had with these high profile transfers. Is that just because that Herman left when he did? Because, you know, one of the things that really, really pushed Houston into a stratospheric amount of attention for a G five was they were winning. They were signing guys like at Oliver. But then even as we sort of knew that Herman was out the door, there was Kyle Allen and Duke Catalan. And now none of that's really there. They don't. Well, I mean, they it, they it were pulling be. in the talent that they weren't supposed to, and then that was transferring in, and then that's kind of all come out in the wash. Well, they do have they do still have Isaiah Chambers, four star defensive end, who's eligible this year from TCU. Uh, they do have Darian Owens, a high three star senior from who was in the rotation at Miami. He wasn't a major difference maker, but he made some plays. Uh, but their biggest thing that they've got. I, 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 we've already expended all of our bitch about the NCAA, sorry, uh, earmuffs, com, bitch about the NCAA um, uh, time on this episode. But the fact that they have not yet decided whether guys like, um, uh, like, well, Deontay Anderson, uh, Ole Miss uh, safety, blue chip kid who transferred to Houston, uh, and of course, Shea Patterson, who transferred to Michigan, the fact that they somehow haven't even decided if those guys are eligible yet or not uh-huh. is mind blowing. Like, I mean, I think they should be, but even if you decide they're not decide, 
Like how, how it's almost freaking may. And they have not decided if these guys are playing this year or not. And that's insane. I think some of that, I think some of that has to do with the fact that, um, in fact, no, actually I don't think I can tell you this. So Ole Miss has filed an appeal, which is going to be pretty standard when you receive the penalties that they did. The appeal disputes some of the particular language involved in the decision. The decision serves as sort of a base for deciding whether or not these guys should be able to transfer and play immediately. If the decision is still in question, I think that's part of the holdup. It's a major part of the holdup. Um, it sucks because it leaves the kids flapping in the wind while the bureaucracy just grinds ever so slowly. Yeah, let's make an exception and actually try to to like decide on this appeal. Yeah. Then, because it is absolutely because I I mean never mind it's obviously inconvenient for me preview writer and and that's not really their main concern but it was like the entire he he is a massive difference maker in their secondary if he's eligible uh, they have enough guy they probably have enough guys they lost a, a good safety and a good cornerback but they probably have enough guys if Deontay Anderson is back there to have a very very good defense without him I have no idea and so <laughs> just let's make my job easier here. Uh, never mind making major Apple whites or Jim Harbaugh's jobs easier. Let's make my job easier and, and make a freaking decision. Uh, by the way, another transfer. I forgot. Uh, Quinn Dormady from Tennessee is going to be headed there. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't really write too much about that just because I assume Derek King is going to be the starter still, but that was another guy. So technically just from a pure standpoint of four star and five star talent, they've still got more than most of the AAC does. Um, and our friend, um, Stephen Allen has been tweeting at me. Uh, he, he basically just admitted, I seriously, I'm just blind to logic on Houston this year. All I can imagine with the, uh, all I can do is imagine them with a cross between FAU and Baylor's offense. Um, pretty good, pretty good to imagine. I mean, yeah. that, would, that would, that would be pretty good. You still have to have receivers and a, and a quarterback who can operate that system. But um, it, 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 the upside is obvious. I just think the more I wrote, the more I thought about Memphis, the more I wrote about Memphis, I think they can match the upside. And that's going to be really fun because guess what? Last game of the year in the AAC, Memphis, Houston, and Memphis. Tennessee continuing to send quarterbacks to the AAC. All right, we are going to pause uh, to, as they say, pay some bills. Uh, if you're listening to this show, I'm just going to work on the assumption that you're between about 35 and 40 years old. You probably have at least one kid, maybe two. Uh, if you are younger than that, congrats. Listen anyway, because, you know, you'll be this age someday. So, 66% of men lose their hair before, or excuse me, by age 35. Uh, when you start to notice hair loss, it is, of course, too late. It's easier to keep the hair you have than replace the hair you've lost. Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Uh, mine uh, took about 15 years. I outlasted my father. I, had, uh, I did not get my bald spot until well, well after he did, and I'm happy with that. But any bald spots yet? How will you feel a year from now if it's business as usual up there? Do you want a bald spot to pop up or do you want to do something about it now? The solution is forhims.com. F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Thanks to science, baldness is completely optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical grade solution, solutions Excuse me, to treat hair loss. There are well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. There's no, you know, 
gas station supplements or whatever, those little yellow pills or whatever you're thinking about. Uh, There are only prescription solutions backed by science. There's no waiting room, no awkward doctor visits where you have to tell him awkward things, him or her. Uh, You get to save hours if you just go to a website. It's very, very easy. Just answer a few quick questions at 4hims.com and a doctor will review your information and prescribe you whatever you need. Uh, Products are shipped directly to your door. Again, I waited too late, just like my father did. I beat him, and that's all that counts. But, you know, if I could reverse time, if I could go back a few years, then, then you know, the bald spot, the receding hairline wouldn't have had to happen at all. Order now. Our listeners get a free trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now while supplies last. You see the website for full details. Uh, this would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy. It does not cost hundreds at 4 Go to 4 slash nobody. That is our P-A-P-N special address. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash nobody. Um, all right, Bill, we got questions. We got lots of questions. Um, yes. Uh, yes. Let's go with Chris Barnwall. Is there a bubble yes. with the AAC? Is it currently exist being the trampoline to a P5 job conference, or does it ex- does is its existence really depend on the future of those P5 conferences, or is this all simply un- or, or is this all completely unrelated to each other? Um. So what would we call? How would we define a bubble with with the coaching stuff? Well, I think the bubble in this case would mean they've been a little too lucky in making good hires. And so, you know, when you lose, when you, when your whole, you know, existence is based on making good young hires, losing them and making more good Mm -hmm. young hires, in theory, there's nothing saying you're going to keep making good hires. My Um, only pushback to that, Bill, is that they continue to be attractive jobs for young coaches. And I think... Sometimes there, there, there's a sexy sort of feeling about a young head coach that it used to be. It used to be more of the coordinator hire, right? It would go straight to the big time P5 job, like a must champ situation. And I feel like the young G5 head coach is the new blueprint that a lot of the P5 jobs are looking at. <laughs> so you may not even know if you've if the coach is a dud until you've are until he's already gone all the way up to the P5 job. I would say that the infrastructure here for me is encouraging with the AAC because Memphis has invested a lot recently. SMU's invested a lot. Houston's invested a lot. Temple has invested a lot. Tulane's invested a lot. Cincinnati has, is, is trying to figure out how to invest a lot, I guess. Um, that I just named over half the conference. UCF, of course, has invested a lot. So uh, USF um, still plays in mm-hmm. the wrong, plays in the wrong stadium, but you know, it, it, it you know is still a situation where they've figured out how to start utilizing the talent advantages they should have, being where they are. Um, so. In that sense, this is a very st- strong infrastructure of a conference. And, and the bottom line is when you've got that infrastructure, number one, you can make an okay hire look pretty good, but then you can also make your, make your program attractive to the right hire. Uh, so yeah, none of it's guaranteed. And there, there have been bad hires. You know, we, we talk about Scotty Montgomery five times in off season, whether that was a bad hire of Montgomery or was it, whether it revealed a terrible infrastructure, it revealed that something's wrong at ECU, um, and so we'll have to see if they can get past that. But, you know, I, I do think that from an, infra- if you compare that to this, well, I mean, obviously the, the next best conference typically in the G5 is the Mountain West. And if you compare the infrastructure and the investment of those programs compared to, 
Uh, you know, San Diego State's trying. Colorado State has invested. But Wyoming is is going to be always limited to a certain degree. Utah State's going to be limited. Uh, Air, well, I can't say Air Force because AAC has Navy. But New Mexico is going to be limited. Nevada is going to be limited. Hawaii is going to be limited in very obvious ways. And so, I mean, I, I think just it's it's going to be harder for the Mountain West to get all of its ducks in a row in a way that the AAC is, or most of its ducks. Um, it's going to be a lot harder for them. And I think the AAC is taking advantage of that to a, a large degree. All right. One of the so one of the more impressive parts of the trend of the whole springboard uh, to a Power Five job is that these are big Power Five jobs, right? Tom Herman goes to Texas, right? Big job. Uh, Chad Morris goes to Arkansas. Scott Frost goes to Nebraska. Willie Taggart goes to Oregon and then Florida State. So when these coaches are leaving, they're, they're they're leaving for big jobs. I would I really would include Matt Rule here just because of the amount of money that Baylor paid him. You know, they, these are these are in demand coaches and they go to big, you know, big top thirty type jobs from the AAC. So with that in mind, Jake Smith asks. What should Kansas fans be rooting for in 2018? <laughs> Any good G5 coaches to watch? I am. Um, um, when I wrote my Tulane preview last week, I got multiple responses that just said rock talk. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. I know. So I know we're in the bag for Willie Fritz, obviously. Uh, but at this point, if you're Kansas, <sighs> it's probably going to be time again. I didn't. Th- I, th- I thought David Beatty would work. I thought it worked in that I thought I thought they would crawl towards 500. Um, I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, did you think that was that? A, ooh, did we no, all? Think I always, that? I always. My I, this is one I can say I was pretty much right on. I, I can't say that about a lot of them, but for this one, I can pretty much say that from a, the from the start, the fact that. I, when Beatty was hired, you know, you get all these endorsements. That's going to happen no matter what. Like all the, mm-hmm. you know, the school's going to put out quotes from all these other coaches about how good the coach they just hired is. Basically, every single one of the quotes that people use for David Beatty talked about how good a recruiter he is. Uh, and that that um, that was a massive red flag for me because, well, and I've said it before on this program, because you're just not going to congratulations for being a good recruiter and landing a bunch of four and five star guys to Texas A&M. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get, you're going to maybe get one of those four and four or five star guys to come to Kansas. You're going to have to Mm -hmm. build around talent evaluation around talent development. Uh, And those were areas that I didn't really think he had declared any bar on. And so I was very skeptical just based on the word recruiting coming up so often. I, I got really queasy about the hire and and so far it's played out like I thought. I can't always say that, but with Kansas, with Kansas, it tends to play out like I think it's going to. So I've got that going for me. Uh, we've touched on this topic, um, but I, I'll go ahead and answer it. Or we'll go ahead and do this question one more time. Um, Josh Witt says, continuing the Bryles to UH train, should I feel gross that Jeff Levy was hired by UCF so soon, uh, also was effectively promoted before spring ball? Uh, and then he also gives us a Saban or, but let's do, um, we'll do the Saban or, which is why I picked the question, but let's do a, um, let's answer that first. Um, I think automatically by virtue of the fact that Jeff Lebby's last name is not Bryles, that people <laughs> that, that he this is going to fly under the radar. It completely flew under my radar. Completely. I had no idea until I saw the question. Jeff Lebby was a Baylor assistant, by the way, if, if you yes. didn't know. Um, so I think we, we've addressed this before, Josh. I think that um, Josh is a, a UCF fan. Yeah, I, I think it, you just have to 
you just have to find what works for you or what doesn't. And if you want to draw a line on a particular thing, then, you know, that's your choice. I don't really want to tell people how to feel on this one because um, what happened is heinous. The plausible deniability has grown to ridiculous links with, with these coaches saying, you know, parsing the, the the very fine point of what they think, you know, what they, what they claim they knew and what they didn't. Um, I definitely, without showing my hand, want to work on this particular topic as a reporter because um, these guys are all going to go on and have careers, you know, they're all going to go on. And, and, and with the exception of maybe art, I think, I think the rest of them are going to be fine ultimately. And how we judge that or how we choose not to judge that is going to say a lot about us soon. So. Yeah. And um, I do like the plausible deniability thing does make you feel a little wobbly, but I mean, it's, I do think like the biggest failures by like the, the people who could have slowed this down are, are obviously, you know, Art Briles, AD, you know, the the people at the very, very, very highest level. And so an assistant, it, if you're an assistant, even if you know something is going on uh, or, or know that something has to change, you're just not. And even when you're either the son or son-in-law of Art Briles, Levy is the son-in-law, mm-hmm. I, I can I can feel sympathetic to the fact that even if you read the situation correctly and you know this there's trouble here, you're just not gonna have that many avenues you feel comfortable discussing it with. You we we want these guys to be like morally untouchable and 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 take a stand. I I'm going to quit. You know if I can, but it that's a lot easier to say than actually pull off. And so I I do try to be at least a little sympathetic isn't quite right, but empathetic, I guess. And understand that if I had been in the, in a situation, like even if I was morally right, it my the, the moves I felt I could make, I, I would have felt like my hands were tied pretty, pretty significantly. So whatever that means, like if it maybe the fact that you were stained by this, you know, and that's fine. I think, um, where was Levy last year? He was like at an NAIA school or something. Um, I, yeah, he was out of, uh, he was out of FBS. Yeah, Southeastern. He was the offensive coordinator at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Um, and and I, I don't know, like you can still carve out a living there. Maybe that's just, you know, you're you're damned by association. Maybe that's the way it should be. But I still can't even with Kendall Bryles to a certain degree. That one's harder. But it, like I, I, I st- he, he wasn't the head coach. He wasn't the school president. He wasn't the, the athletic director. Um, and so I, I, I am I have at least a little more leash for for that. Uh, for those guys. Are you ready for Saban or? Yep. Um, I guess he, Josh was a little unclear, but I'll fill in the blanks. Um, Bill Connolly, yes. a larger number, future Nick Saban national championships or years that Hypel is at UCF. That's one of the better. We got a couple, um, uh, well, pretty bad Saban or questions this week, but I like that one. Um, it I'm going to say it is damn near a push. Yeah. I, I think, I think hypo years is where is the more yeah. there. Um, Cause I would I, say I, something to the, I would say something to the effect of like two or three more national championships and three to four years at UCF. Right. It's tight. Um, I don't think hypo is going to be such a dramatic success that he gets hired at some big 12 job in like a year. <laughs> um, that would be very impressive. Now, number one, I mean, a year is probably pushing it anyway, but next year, if he has success, it's just going to be kind of associated with frost anyway. So it's going to take him a couple of years to actually, um, stand on his own, so to speak. 
But, um, well, you know, Mike Norvell, right. Everybody assumed for a while that that was just the doing of Fuente. And then he's kind of made it his own. And then this year, I think he's made them better. Yeah. He's, he's taken everything. Hypo or uh, Fuente was building and he's made it better. Yeah. All right. So Josh, we'll go with, we'll go with Hypo, but, uh, I, I think it's pretty close, honestly. Um, all right. Let's see. Where do we want to go next? We did get a lot of Sabanors. Uh, I appreciate you. appreciate y'all jumping on that bandwagon. Here's a Saban, a Saban question that isn't a Saban or um, Jake Jordan at the underscore Ibex or L B E X. Can't tell if that's an underscore or an under a lowercase L uh, natural con, uh, national conversation. And P A P N seems down on Pruitt's chances at Tennessee. Local feeling is more positive. And I've never seen the abbreviation of a plus sign and a V and an E. So well done wow. on that one. I've never seen that. Uh, I, I'm, I am split. Number one is the lukewarmness outside of 865 due to Saban's defensive coordinator history slash the new HC or other. And number two, what are the early signs, four or five games, that would force a, re- a reevaluation of expectation for Pruitt up or down? And they're trying to fire um, Pruitt in year one. Yeah, so the, the second part, the second part of that, like make no evaluations after four or five games, like none, absolutely none. Um, like, I mean, if he if he is blatantly terrible, well, I mean, that's probably a bad sign. But a lot of coaches need a little while to actually know how to wear that 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 the big headset, you know. So the scariest like, yeah, thing for Tennessee is that he might be blatantly terrible, but you won't really know it's him not for a while. Right. Cause I mean, and, and, cause again, it takes a while to, like I was saying about Hypel and you know, it's going to be associated with frost, like good or bad. You can just, if you wanted to take the logic forward, you could easily spin anything good or bad and tie it to Butch Jones. So, I mean, it's going to take a little while to figure out what, what's Pruitt and, and that's fine. You know, don't evaluate anybody after four or five games. Um, I do think like Jeremy Pruitt has his own reputation. He's not, but and he's building, it's, it's he's not, building upon that with with this some of the stuff he's pulling in Knoxville. So it's like, <laughs> oh man, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Call out the fans, love it. Um, so it's 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 a decision. It's definitely a decision. You know, he. I think the the whole Saban coordinator history thing. First of all, it's gotten blurrier now that Kirby Smart appears to be awesome. Um, you know, so that makes it a little more difficult to say, you know, Saban say now he used Saban DC specifically, not coordinators as a whole, okay. but I mean, you know, after, if you're not including Kirby in that group, and then it's basically Muschamp who's doing an okay job at South Carolina now too. So, I mean, I, I think there is enough success in the Saban tree that we can't just say, you know, that's the reason, uh, that's a reason to be skeptical uh, in and of itself. But Jeremy Pruitt does have his own reputation. He is a crab ass. Um, you know, that's, that's what we heard at Florida state when he was at Florida state. That's what we heard when he was at Georgia. That's what we heard when he was at Alabama. Uh, he has expectations of, of the, you know, I need my program to have this, this, and this, uh, I'm going to be grumpy if it doesn't have it. Um, and and he is very much building on that reputation so far at Tennessee. So um, that maybe that's just his personality, and he knows how to to use that personality to great effect. But uh, it, it is uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. I love. I, I guess really in the end, I love that he's at Tennessee because that that personality and that fan base and that everything is going to be interesting to watch, good or bad. It's going to be fascinating to watch. I want to I want to hold back some some comments because I, I do think that it's 
it's approaching urban legend status is his demeanor and attitude and some of the things he says and it's just <laughs> whatever I, I let me it, from a person i personally think having this conversation about will Muschamp as we go for another two or three more years into his career is way more interesting and i don't know if you have to put it in the context of it, that, that he was a saban guy or not but for someone who had a lot of jobs really thrown at him and and obviously the misstep with florida like I think he's going to have a really good South Carolina program, maybe not this year, but as, as they go forward, you know, I think he fits that job better than we think. And uh, I think he can find success with that job. And then what does that say about, what does that say about what happened at Florida? Is it a Florida thing? Is it a must champ thing? Is it both? Is it, you know, was, was it just too much too fast for him? Um, it, you know, if he, if he starts winning, you know, nine, nine, nine ish games at South Carolina, I think, because to me, that's like winning 11 at Florida. Um, <laughs> the conversations would be really interesting. A lot of people are gonna start writing hindsight articles and you know, somebody's going to catch a bullet on, on the blame, on the blame <laughs> there. And if, if Will I, is smart, he'll just say that he's grown and changed, but I don't think it, I don't think that's going to happen. No, I mean, I think his his limitations are the exact same as they were. I mean, number one, he is at South Carolina's got a high ceiling, but it doesn't have a Florida ceiling. That's fair to say. And um, so, so the fact that he's at a lower ceiling job helps him, but he's got the same limitations he did before. He still he still has to figure out how to build an offense that doesn't hate itself. Um and and he has not yet proven he can do that. You know, with with Pharaoh last year, um there were glimpses of, of, of maybe having more, a little more fun and a little more upside and all that, or Pharaoh Debo, sorry. The other weirdly named uh, South Carolina receiver, Debo Samuel. Um, but then at the same time, even with Debo in the lineup last year, they won two games where they were significantly outgained. So it was still a very must champion kind of thing. Um, and so I, I think he'll, he'll, he will do fine at South Carolina. He will have a ceiling. He, his offense still does hate itself and apparently always will. Uh, but he's still a, let's not mistake being a less than elite head coach that you can still be a good head coach after that. And mm-hmm. so I, I think he'll be a good head coach. Uh, oh, here's another one that we can at least tie in and then move on. Uh, there was another uh, Pruitt question up at the top. Uh, with regard, this is from Steven at E-S-S-P-X-S-P-U-X-S-P-U-X. Um, with regard to Pruitt's comment last weekend, after Saban retires, do you think over time fans slash media tolerance for how his coaching tree treats them will change? Syntax. Um, Read it one more time. You, uh, okay. Sorry, uh, with regard to Pruitt's comments last weekend, so the the cranky the cranky pants comments about um, mm-hmm. fans and whatnot, uh, and his own team. Um, after Saban retires, do you think over time fans slash media tolerance for how his coaching tree treats them? Oh, I got it. I got it. Keep going. Read it. Read it. I got it. I got how it. how Saban. Okay, how Saban, former Saban assistants treat fans and media? Yes, is yes, that what we're yes. going for there? Will change. Okay, okay. Got it, got it, got um, it. The, the short right. answer is it doesn't matter. It's all about su- success. What I think the question yeah. is touching on, and this is this is something that, that has been kicked around in college football, was applying Saban measures without Saban results. And one of those specifically is a more standoffish relationship and really, you know, almost aggressive, abusive relationship with local media. Um, in my opinion... 
the Alabama beat writers are mistreated by Nick Saban and the university of Alabama to a degree in which that they've somehow molded it into like this Stockholm syndrome. And that's not a popular opinion, but that's just how I feel. Saban's able to manipulate narrative to such a degree because he's so successful and he's hard to question. And he has so much outsized influence over every corner of the world of Southern football. Um, we have seen this time and again where someone got the Saban label on them, went to another job, decided we're going to close the doors and be dicks. And it backfires <laughs> rapido because you don't win. Um, Kirby wins. Right. Kirby has adopted a lot of the same methodology as Saban in terms of, of communication, both with the media, consumers, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, state legislature, you name it. Um, they, and he's winning. And so, you know, it's the church of Kirby right now. Um, pretty much everywhere else off the Saban tree, that has not worked. Derek Dooley, um, right. Saban disciples, or sort of Saban fans often like want to scrub Derek Dooley as not being a Saban guy, but he is as much a Saban guy as Muschamp was. Um, Derek Dooley is a famous backfire. Dooley's personality did not, did really did not. Uh, do him any favors and being a, a head football coach in the Southeastern conference and the amount of like non football glad handing and PR that you have to do stuff that you, it's been great for him as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, no, I'm he's, not, he's I'm not dogging him as a coach anymore. <laughs> I'm really not dogging him as a coach anymore. I'm just saying like Derek Dooley's biggest faults after recruiting were all like communication, both internal and external at Tennessee. Um, so he's a famous example of like acting like Saban, but not performing like Saban. Um, you know, it's funny, but like Myers guys don't do that quite the same way. Mullen is weird with the media. Um, Mullen will kind of throw more of a fit and holler at you and, and then kind of turn around and be better for it. You know, you, you or your relationship with him ends up being a little bit better for it. Now, Florida is a strange deal because it's so saturated with media. Um, I think he'll enjoy Florida cause he gets a ton of attention, but he doesn't really have to commit to the relationships with the media. Um, right. And then, yeah, I'm just thinking about Meyer assistants now because we always compare Meyer guys and and Saban guys. You know, Tom Herman is Tom Herman plays the media like a fiddle. I'll say that <laughs> as a, as as a fiddle once used. Like, and I'm not saying that to disparage Tom or or to to say that you know I, I have second thoughts about the coverage that we gave Tom. Like they were doing exciting, as we said earlier, Houston was doing really really unique exciting things, and Tom also like. I'm sorry, you know, a lot of people in the media poke at those of us who like enjoyed Herman as a personality and highlighted that. Yeah. But like the dude was playing rap trivia with us because we were like, hey, <laughs> do you want to play Houston rap trivia? And they were like, yeah. And as you slog through the cycles of the football seasons and coaches just say the same nothing things over and over again, if you have someone who really wants to be dynamic, I, you know, I interviewed him at five in the morning one time in an airport, um, right outside an airport security gate drinking coffee at a closed barbecue restaurant in Houston because it made for a good story because he literally had not slept at all from when they had beaten SMU the night before. And that's just good. That's good scene setting. And it, 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 it he knew all that, right? Like we could have knocked that interview out, but he was like, yeah, we'll just do 30 minutes before I go through security for a Southwest flight. And it just, it, it, it worked. So I don't know. I mean, like the, the personality thing is the personality thing. Strange. I could, I could kind of rant on it, but um, if you're Derek Dooley, you should have won more football games. If you're Will Muschamp, you should have won more football <laughs> games. If you're, um, if you're Jim McElwain, McElwain was, I thought a really good interview. 
uh, I'd have to ask Matt and a couple of other people that cover Florida that I know we have some Florida beat guys who listen to the show a little bit, but like the Florida beat does weird things to personality dynamics. But like I had to get McElwain on the phone twice and he was great both times. So I don't know. He, he, he seems like another guy who will benefit from not being at Florida. Maybe I mean, the he's, behind an, Florida. he's behind an iron curtain now and he doesn't have to worry about it at all. Right. So. Right. Um, so, and, and, uh, you know, I, I agree with that. You've had more experience there than I have. I will say, I mean, with Tom Herman, he, he loves those aspects. He loves talking to people. He loves recruiting. He loves a, a lot of things that a lot of coaches either hate or say they hate. Uh, and he kind of leans into them a little bit and he knows how to burnish his media yeah. reputation. I, I, I can't remember if I've told the story, on here. I, I probably have. We, we've been doing this podcast long enough to where it is like a relationship. Like, did I tell you about the time where, yes, you told me about the time. But um, the one time I interviewed Herman outside of AAC day um, was when he was entering his first year, I did that story on um, uh, game planning, like game prep and what happens on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, etc. I talked to Herman for that. Uh, he called me in the car, which, you know, that's uh, you get used to that after a while. Um, it makes transcribing stuff kind of hard, but, um, he called in the car and then I heard a door shut and he's talking and talking and talking. And, I, and then I hear him, uh, hold on one second. Hey son, happy birthday. Uh, here's a bike. Anyway, what I was saying was, uh, <laughs> I'm like, you, you, you can, you can go have fun with your, your, your son on his birthday. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, and he leans into that hard. So um, he, he, he could also be a robot in that regard. I, we're not real sure. But, um, yeah, it, the, coaches are their own personalities, and you end up aligning with, uh, with, with mentors who share personalities sometimes. So I don't think it's necessarily the Saban effect so much as those are the guys that Saban has been drawn to, uh, and, but, and everybody's their own guy. So I, I really hope the SEC doesn't um, spoil Joe Moorhead. I, know. And I don't mean I don't mean I'm sorry Man. spoils wrong contaminate Joe Moorhead I should say we got Joe, we got Joe Moorhead Chad Morris is really interesting um Chad Morris is Chad Morris was more tailor-made in terms of personality dynamic for the SEC than Joe Moorhead True. um yeah he's not I hope, Chad, Chad I Morris Joe, I like I like him a lot but he's not gregarious Joe Moorhead is gregarious yes yeah um, I, I hope the SEC doesn't beat that out of him and um <laughs> Because I do think he's going to be really successful both in the short term and the long term with Mississippi State as long as he wants to be there. Um, Chad is uh, Chad Morris will Chad Morris will slide right into that SEC vibe. I mean, <laughs> I watch one of those I, just as a perverse like I I almost can't avoid it. But when they do those in house videos now, like like everybody's major football program in a Power Five has like a video team where they right. you know they do oh hard knocks. They showed. Chad Morris meeting the team for the first time. And, uh, you know, he is very high school vice principal in a lot of ways. And I was just like, I, I hope he will do fine litigating, you know, the attitudes and opinions w- within that SEC fan base. Going back to Pruitt and Morris and even Moorhead. Um, and I, let me see if I can continue this. Not Matt Luke. Um, I tell you what, let's do this as an exercise real fast. Let's okay. name all the new SEC head coaches. Okay. Chad Morris. Yep. Pruitt. Yep. Um, Matt Luke. Well, let's not count him. And, and you'll, you'll realize why in a second. Jimbo. Yep. Dan Mullen. Yep. Okay. Every, you know what all these coaches have in common? They are, since they got hired 
exercising their natural personality as much as humanly possible in the media because, Bill, they're all, with the exception of Luke, diametrically opposed to their predecessors. <laughs> yeah. They're doing it with their players. They're doing it with their boosters. They're doing it with their administrators, and they're doing it with the fans, all of them. Chad Morris is not body. He is not Brett Bielema. He is a completely different type of person. He really is a buttoned-up, church-going kind of vice-principal type attitude, right? And, you know, the first thing he said in that intro video is, like, you know, all right, everybody sit up straight, not, you know, all that shit. Like, diametrically opposed to the way Brett Bielema carried himself in the program. Not, I'm not making a judgment call here. I'm just telling you, right? Dan Mullen, Jim McElwain, same situation. Joe Moorhead, Dan Mullen, completely <laughs> different human beings. Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt. We're stuck now talking about Jeremy Pruitt in this Tennessee situation. There is a reason, an easily identifiable reason why he said that stuff about the fan base after the spring game. For those of you listening, if you take nothing from this podcast other than just killing time on a commute, I want you guys to understand something. Like, please believe me when I tell you these things are manufactured. They, they're not actually real. The coaches, they, they aren't really speaking from their hearts. That everything that is said and the way it's said, like Pruitt's comments about the fans and the players, that is all for a purpose. That is all designed, okay? It's just like a promo in, in pro wrestling. Like, it's designed to elicit emotion and create a response and market an idea. And what he what he was doing there was he had, I, I'm sure someone has gotten in his ear or he's noticed it himself. Or I, I really don't know how his staff shakes out in terms of, you know, who knows what about Tennessee and all that. I haven't been there yet. I'm really not interested in it. But someone said, look at the Butch Jones stuff, the 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 champions for life, the brick by brick, and the stuff that they really, 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 really resented as corny. Remember all that, Bill? Like mm. Butch was too nice, you know. Uh, but Butch's idea was to come in after Derek and be like, "No, we like Derek had shut off all the Tennessee tradition stuff. He didn't like it. He didn't like the alumni. He didn't want to hang out with the people locally." Butch thought, "Well, while I'm building this thing, I can earn some equity by being Mister Tennessee, Mister Tennessee history, Mister like loving on the fans, loving on the place, all of that kind of stuff." And Pruitt has now gone back to a sort of Dooley Saban type attitude of like, I don't care. You earn this. You earn my respect. <laughs> so that's what he did on Saturday. It's not really real, even though if he actually feels it, he feels it for a reason. It's not because he cares about you, Tennessee fan, Tennessee consumer at all. And, and yes, it is stupid to expect fealty, to, to demand fiscal fealty and, and people packing their kids up and getting in a car and driving and paying money to sit through a stupid spring game and pack out that stadium when the when the state of the product is as what you know is what it is yes that's stupid yes he actually does understand that no it has absolutely nothing to do with that he was making a stance he was he was selling a marketing idea yeah it was like it was a tactic that he played it is funny like um i've been doing this long enough now that that's how i basically view everything uh oh he played that card and it was funny because you know last year the, the narrative of um, of Missouri season was, you know, Missouri started one and five. Barry Ona went on a big rant to the media about, you know, I'm the man for this job. It's a turnaround. It's going to take time. We're going to win here and all this stuff. Uh, and I got home and that's all anybody was talking about. And I thought, OK, well, he played that card. Uh, and then I, the, by the next morning, I'd completely forgot about it. That became the dominant narrative of the entire season was, you know, they turned around after that. He got everybody like, no, he was just he was talking to his team through the media at the end. Um, and, but it is, 
it, it, it was at least a reminder that like that we're all just part of a dance. Uh, and we're all, we're all just little pieces that get moved around here and there. Um, I think I just mixed up dance metaphors and chess metaphors, but whatever. Um, it, it's just, it's funny, but yeah, he, he played that gambit. He played the question, the fans, uh, gambit that is, that is risky. It's a risky gambit, but that's the way he went, uh, at Tennessee. Um, Eli Oppenheimer. Uh, I do not normally a great encourage name. a very good name. I do not usually encourage like 18 part questions here, but I really like this question. So I'm going to no, don't encourage it. I'm going to go against my interests and, and, uh, and do it anyway. So because, because I have an answer, I'm going to go ahead. And this is also going to be the last question. Yeah. Cause it's a five parter. It's going to take 10 minutes to read. Um, Hashtag ask PAPN looking at the preseason projections, both S and P and others like FPI uh, ESPN's FPI. It, it seems to me that non P five are at least slightly underrated due to recruiting rankings. A P five school almost always outranks non P fives in stars, but that doesn't, that advantage doesn't seem to materialize at least anecdotally looking at a team like Kentucky, their recruiting average is 29 versus their weighted five year of 75. Uh, they seem to be getting extra credit for talent that is either consistently overrated or underdeveloped would recruit change comparison uh versus recruiting way rank oh oh so uh, anyway would it help improve pre uh, preseason projections so in kentucky's case if for the last five years they've been consistently around 29th in recruiting and then that 29th ranking doesn't provide any advantage to their projection because they've had no positive change uh conversely if kentucky's uh recruiting ranking had averaged around 50th and over the last two years they bumped it to 29th the recruiting improvement should improve their preseason projections s and p seems to handle this much better than fpi thank you uh which just crushes non-p5 so very long story short with the preseason projections improve in accuracy if a recruiting change metric replaced the raw recruiting rankings so number one um I use two two year recruiting rankings instead of five year recruiting rankings for that very reason. I'm looking for basically I use recruiting rankings to fill in the gaps of how much production are they losing and then what caliber talent are they replacing it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just those recent guys because yeah by the, by your fifth year you are your production not your recruiting rankings. That that's been one way that I've gone about things to tr- to try to address that. Uh, but really I, I wanted to read this question simply because a while back. After I released the projections um, in what early February, I guess the the preseason S and P Plus, which will get updated at the end of the year for you know personnel developments and whatnot, um, or end of the off season, excuse me. Uh, w- one of the things I did was the way I craft these projections and figure out weights and all this to use for everything. Basically, I split it out into P five, G five, and Service Academy. Um, just to, because there is a little bit of a difference in, in the teams that aim real high in recruiting and sometimes hit versus the teams that know they're not going to get any big time guys focus more on development and all that. Uh, so there, there are different kind of weights for each one. And so basically I, I don't, I, I don't use these, I'm not using these projections yet because I don't, I need to test them more. Basically, it almost feels like an overcompensation to me. Uh, cause in, in the end we use recruiting rankings because they are a way of evaluating talent and they're just good enough to use. And while, uh, you know, Kentucky might underachieve and certain mid majors will overachieve. We don't necessarily know which mid majors will overachieve from year to year. Mm-hmm. So it's not fair to, to simply say recruiting rankings don't apply, uh, because it's different for everybody. But when I rejiggered the rankings uh, to account for the different factors at different levels of the sport, number one, as you would expect, Navy went from being projected, a, uh, let's see, went from being projected 85th to being projected 32nd, 
because uh, really all that matters for Navy is are they returning their quarterbacks in the mm-hmm. end. Um, and so 32nd feels way too high, but if it might be closer to reality than 85th is. So maybe in the end, I try to find like a, an average of these. But basically, in the end, at the AAC, on average, um, in part because Navy was 53 spots higher, their average increase in projections was around 15 points. Uh, for everybody not named Navy, it was around 12 points. Uh, so like Memphis went from 42nd to 28th and UCF went from 17th to 7th and and so on and so on. Um, C- uh, Conference USA teams ended up about seven spots higher. MAC teams ended up about seven spots higher. Mountain West about six. Sunbelt about five. SEC about seven points lower or 6.7 spots lower. Pac-12, seven spots, ACC, eight spots, uh, Big 12, 8.3 spots, and Big 10 teams were projected on average 10 spots lower, Wow! uh, mainly because uh, Purdue got dumped, Nebraska got dumped, Minnesota got dumped, Maryland, Rutgers, and Illinois got dumped, and they were all much lower. Indiana got dumped a lot lower um, because their recent performance dictated, you know, they don't necessarily get as much of a bump because of this. So, I, I am looking into it is the, the long, the short answer there. And I, I do kind of, I, I, that, well, that was the short version of the answer uh, is that I'm looking into it, but I, I, it is there and it is kind of an interesting thought, but uh, remember that recruiting rankings are used for a reason uh, and, and, it, and not using them does not tip, tend to make projections better or changing the way you use them doesn't make projections better. Well, and they're a volatile metric on their own because they're built yeah. on really weird science to begin with. So science, science, science <laughs> would not be the right word. Science is gone. Well, you know, calling recruiting ranking science would probably be a, a, a gross misstep. Uh, Bill. So as we get out of here, let's just um, recap the AAC real fast. Um, yes. Uh, your division winners on S and P plus are. Um, for, with S and P plus my division winners, I believe will end up being, I think it's going to, I haven't added up to a specific conference. I think Memphis is going to be the projected favorite in the West, mm-hmm. a little bit ahead of Houston, although Houston's schedule is also favorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have not done UCF's projections yet because, well, because they're next week and I do one week at a time, but I can pretty much guarantee that they're going to be a pretty healthy favorite uh, in the, in the East. So okay. we are looking at so S&P, plus, right. S&P plus is projecting a rematch. What about Bill Connolly? Uh, that's kind of where, like I said, that's kind of, I was assuming I would be leaning Houston. I kind of found myself leaning Memphis a little bit once I had written the previews. Um, so I, I would, they're going to be in the same tier, but right now I probably lean Memphis. And I think instead of USF, the biggest competitor for UCF in the East this year will be temple. Uh, wow. I, 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 I like one of the things that I wish I could do a better job of with S and P is tracking those kind of is, is, is waiting in those late season improvements that, you know, what I've found is that, you know, if you do improve in, in certain fundamental ways mm-hmm. over the last half of the season or so, and then you return the guys who were the main causes of those improvement that tends to stick. Okay. And I think what I saw from temple late in the year is improvement that will stick. Uh, and so I think they're going to be pretty good this year. All right. I'm going to go with Houston by a nose Memphis winning. It would not surprise me at all. And uh, I, I really can't, get around picking UCF. I think USF, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, they've earned it. USF feels like it could, they could be there. They do replace a bit. Um, but yeah, if you, if you had to tell me like, 
I, yeah, I think UCF is the safer bet when you're trying to, to determine a division winner. I like, I, again, though, I, I, I have a strange FAU type feeling that the Bryles thing is going to be very, very, very impactful in a positive way for Houston. So I like Houston right. to upset UCF to win the uh, AAC. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, congratulations in advance to Navy for winning the West. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> Whew. We can come back and talk a little AAC next week because you knew we were gonna. Um, if anything, in our type of in our type of PAP and way um, happens in the draft, um, we'll touch on it. If y'all want to ask us questions about the draft, if y'all want to ask us NFL questions, we do those. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, really, there is no weirder moment where the where the two universes sort of touch each other for a while than than you know, like the preceding and. And uh, the preceding week and the next, you know, 10-ish days or so because of the takes and the and people discovering these players for the first time in a lot of instances. So if you got questions, feel free to ask them. Uh, but we will be back, uh, Bill, Wednesday next week. Well, we said that last week and it ended up not being Wednesday. I know. Yes, as I far know. as I know, Look, Project X is almost done, but I think we're going to be Wednesday. As always, just follow us on Twitter. I'm at 38Godfrey. He is at SBN underscore Bill C, if you have a question for us in the off season as we slog along, hashtag AskPAPN. Uh, if you want us to do a box score bingo, um, I've had people asking about box score bingo. We can bring it back for a limited run. I don't think we're ever bringing it back every week. Bill and I sort of exhausted it. Um, I, yeah, if we figure out a new way of exploring it, I'm I'm in. Uh, we just kind of, the way we were using it with the blindness and all that. We kept proving the like, same point. Right. We proved our point with it. And so, yeah. yeah, if we figure out a new point to prove, we'll, we'll do that. But if you guys find one that you think is particularly interesting or misleading or, or defies some of the things that we establish or reinforces them and it's fun, we'll do it. Yep. We're easy. All right, Bill, uh, have a great NFL draft. I'm going to not watch it and, <laughs> um, pay attention to playoff hockey. I can't even think of the last one I watched. So this will be, like I said, an educated novice here. We'll see you guys next week.